Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. I'm Sarah, and I am a ministry leader in the state of Delaware. Fun fact about me, I love coffee, sleeping in, and deep conversations. Take it away, guys. Ooh, we've, we've got like a, a dating thing going on. Oh, no. <laughs> I am single, but not ready to mingle. Let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> I also got two kids, so, you know, nobody wants to deal with that. Hey, everybody. My name is Darren Calhoun, and I am here from Chicago, um, where I lead worship. I sing in a band. And uh, a fun thing to know about me is that once upon a time, I gave myself a nosebleed while dancing in church. Oh, they hear that story. (laughs) There's a story to that or a whole story to that. (laughs) I mean, we're we talking praise dance, or we're we talking like this was a praise dance. This was the this was the, with the flag and there were flags involved. Um, right, <laughs> but you know, have you ever seen like where like you everybody will be standing in a straight line, and then one person at one end doesn't move, and then it ripples down across the line, right? Yeah. Um, well, um, this was the debut of my dance team in uh, in this church. And we're dancing to a Kirk Franklin song. So it's like super high energy and it's like the highest point in the song. And so I'm supposed to jump up, do a kick, come down and like land in a kneel, right? I jumped up, did this kick, came down super fast. And when I came down, my, and going into the kneel, my nose like went directly into my knee. <laughs> And bounced. <laughs> oh my god! And so I'm like, oh, that really hurt. But I'm yeah, a dancer, okay. so you keep going. You don't stop. And so no one noticed. And then you know, keep going. We come back up, and I'm like, wow, my whole face is really throbbing right now. And so as I'm dancing, it's the last, you know, last minute of the song. I'm like, oh, my nose is running. So I like do the like hand wipe up <laughs> your nose, and I look at my hand. I'm like, ah. <gasps> There's blood on my hand, but it's not on my face. At least I don't know if it's on my face or not, but it's like, there's just a little bit of blood on my hand. Oh my God. But also I'm wearing this all white outfit that I had (laughs) sewn because that's what you do when you're in a church and you have to start a dance team on your own. You sew yourself a dance outfit that's all white. And I'm like finishing this song. I'm like, okay, if I keep this from going down my face and all over my clothes, then this is going to be just fine. So I kept dancing. And every time there was a move that had anything that went across my chest or across my face, then I wiped some more up oh. so that it was not going to be on my shirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> and we finished the song. And I immediately, like, booked it out of the sanctuary. Good for you. The whole team is like, where did you go after we danced? I was like, my nose is bleeding. <laughs> God. And no one knew. I like Baby. had it totally covered up because that's what dancers do. <laughs> so proud of you. Oh my gosh. It was a special day. Hey, this is Stacey. And my fun fact is that I traveled around Ireland when I was 25 and I did it all by myself and including some hitchhiking. What? Wow. Oh. <laughs> all by yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ireland's not very big, like no. the size of Rhode Island, but that's that's still cool. But the part of I'm curious, curious about the hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious how the hitchhiking worked out. <laughs> I did the hitchhiking <laughs> at night to oh. pubs, <laughs> and the hitchhiking though it was always with a friend. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> but it was at night, and thankfully he was Irish, so it wasn't. As big of a deal, but I learned never to say, "Can I get a ride?" Like to expound on that, or is that for the (laughs) seventeen version of this? You want to say, "Can I get a lift?" Because ride means something else. Hey, everybody! My name's Kevin, and fun fact about myself is that my dream place to live, like the one place that I would live if money were absolutely no object, is Manhattan, New York City, New York. That is where I would live, and I would be like 
a Wall Street stockbroker because that's basically the only way to manage living in New York City. I love New York. To visit. I don't necessarily want to live in New York. I've never been, but I think I would love to live there. I love massive cities, so... I've I've been once and I'm like this is it this is where I want this is where I want to live. All right, so everybody, this week we are talking about church trauma. Um, we're talking about what church trauma is, why it even matters, what does it look like, uh, maybe some examples from uh, from our own pasts of what church trauma might what shapes it might take. So uh, yeah, who wants to go ahead and just take the ball running? Who wants to go? You know, I've got, I've got quite a trauma resume <laughs> when it comes to what happens in church. But I think even before we get into like individual stories, um, I think it's one thing for us to just kind of remember a lot of times when we start talking about trauma, people go, oh, no, I've never experienced that because they don't have like some horrible thing that's standing out in their heads. But actually, there's a lot of small and discreet ways that we experience um, unpleasantness. We experience harmful situations in church that um, sometimes it takes years to realize or it's not until you hear other people's stories. So, you know, with that, it's kind of an invitation to have kind of an open mind, listen to some stories, listen to some perspectives, because, uh, you know, we all we all got stuff, if you will. But, um, yeah, Sarah, you got some uh, some um, some something to help us think about what trauma is. I do. So um, to your point, uh, I like I like what you said about just I realizing that we all can in different ways experience trauma. Um, and sometimes we don't recognize it. Um, I think it's important to, to mention that trauma can look so many different ways. Um, a lot of times people think it's just like this one big traumatic event or something, you know, like physical abuse or sexual abuse. Um, but a lot of times it can be, you know, very, um, just a lot of subtle things leading up to, um, you know, either an, an, an event or it can just be over time, um, you know, chronic, I think chronic trauma happens to a lot of us just being in a situation, being in a church, a toxic environment, toxic relationship, where over time, it just builds. Um, trauma can look can take many forms from, you know, emotional trauma, physical trauma, it manifests in so many different ways. So um, I think it's important as we're having this conversation, you know, there's so much, I mean, we could have so many episodes, I think, and um, we're not going to cover everything, but, you know, specifically, you know, it's important to, to just recognize that, you know, trauma looks differently. And I think it's important not to, you know, judge one situation um, and decide whether, you know, is that situation trauma? I hear that a lot, you know, mm-hmm. about when people are looking at trauma, well, that's not really, you know, a traumatic situation because it's not some big grand event that happened, but, you know, trauma can happen starting in childhood and it can be multiple traumatic events as you're going through life. And then when you get to, you know, specifically we're talking about a church, you get into a church um, environment and you experience something that just builds on, you know, past trauma. That's why, you know, I think it's important for churches to be what we call trauma informed. That's a whole other topic that we can get to, but... (laughs) What what does that what does that look like? Is it just like people getting their feelings hurt, or what is it? What does that like mean when we when we say we've experienced trauma? I think it can it can it can look like um, it can look like well specifically if you want to get into definitions. You know, you have acute trauma, which is a grand event. Um, it can be, um, as I mentioned, you know, physical, sexual abuse, um, even natural disasters. So, you know, thinking about a big, just one traumatic event. Um, and then you're looking at chronic trauma, which is, I, I think presents itself as a lot of, um, emotional abuse, um, a lot of, you know, manipulation, um, stress, you think of bullying, things that are just kind of continuing to happen depending on your environment. So it's, it's over a, a period of time. And then you can have what's called complex trauma. And that looks like 
multiple traumatic events. So someone that, you know, experienced trauma in, you know, growing up, um, maybe in their home, and then maybe they were bullied in school. And then it builds on, you know, to them going into church and experiencing um, something at church. So it's kind of like that complex trauma just kind of builds um, and it manifests different ways in different people. Um, you know, it looks, it looks different. We know trauma changes the brain, but you know, it also manifests in ways like anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. um, disassociation, withdrawal, you know, just the way you handle and cope with stress, um, yeah. brain fog. A big one that I hear is just people experiencing, you know, this, um, brain fog and, and things being just hard to concentrate when you're in like this, this kind of this, and I'm talking about like when you're in the trauma, when you're in a state, some people uh, equate it to fight or flight. You know, a lot of people who are experiencing trauma when you haven't healed necessarily from it, um, you're kind of stuck in that fight or flight mode. So it it really manifests and looks differently. um, And it can look a lot. It can look like a lot of different things. Yeah. I feel like you're getting my Kool-Aid already. It's like, like, what was it? The I can get in a whole box. Of- right. <laughs> <laughs> I think the important thing to note here is that the four of us specifically, we we're here talking about church trauma, not because we've necessarily um, moved past it. At least I'm talking for myself here, not because I've necessarily moved past whatever trauma happened to me in the past, not because I've moved past whatever somebody did or said to me or whatever, but because I've learned to uh, deal with it and, and kind of cope with it from a stance of, Hey, this happened and I have to accept that. And it's okay. Like it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to, um, still feel those really hard things to feel that don't, um, that, that aren't nice things to feel, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm also thinking about like some of the conversations I've seen, uh, whether we're in a Facebook group or just, you know, in everyday church life where we think of, well, you're supposed to just cast all your cares on Jesus and get over mm-hmm. it in so many yep. words. Like, how do y'all mm-hmm. feel or how do you respond to, to those kind of statements? That really grinds my gears, man. I Nothing gets me <laughs> really upset than just dismissing somebody's emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, because first of all, trauma isn't something that someone can always necessarily just get over. It's not, you don't just snap your fingers and it's yeah. gone. You don't necessarily will it away. A lot of people need, you know, intensive therapy and that's okay. And that should be more normalized. Um, and it's a shame that it's not. So I, you know, I, re- I really, I, it needs to stop, you know, the dismissing the emotions, um, and, and just willing, you know, people's trauma away, because it, if you understand the, the science of trauma and how it affects not only the brain, but, you know, your body, um, there's a really great book called The Body Keeps the Score, and it really talks about just how trauma manifests in, in just your overall health. You know, people yeah. that experience trauma are at higher risk for other health conditions. So this is not just something that just you snap your finger and it goes away. Um, a lot of people need therapy and time to process these emotions, to process and learn from your triggers, to see your triggers as your teachers and to really process. It takes it's a journey. Healing yeah. is a journey and we need to normalize that healing is a journey and it's okay if you are not, <laughs> you know, over it or completely, you know, healed. So yeah. I think too, for myself, I didn't recognize a lot of things as trauma until I was older. Uh-huh. <laughs> so things that happened to me as a kid, like I remember specifically events that happened. And at the time I didn't think of it as a trauma or anything, but because I remember them so vividly now, I'm like, Oh yeah, that was a huge deal to me then. And like that thinking stayed with me all those years. And some of these things I'm still trying to process from the trauma. You understand? It's I don't know. And as I like go through different like 
thinking back on things or in a different Facebook groups and somebody mentions something of what happened to them. And I'm like, yeah, I totally remember that happening to me as well. And then you sit in it and you're like, damn, (laughs) like this is a big deal too. Or maybe it's not that big of a deal, but like it affects you and you're like, okay, I seriously need therapy for this. Like Mm -hmm. get me help. And I think that's, that's part of the um, issue with church trauma, especially, but I think any, any trauma in general is oftentimes we don't recognize it. And again, I'm speaking for myself here. I know I didn't recognize that I was being abused at now two different churches um, until after the fact, until I decided to stand up for myself, until I started talking to to friends or mentors or, or therapists, and they were the ones saying, hey, this isn't right. This is like you are currently going through trauma. We're currently going through this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with churches especially, uh, I mean, you know, Churches are supposed to be a safe space for everybody. They're supposed to be uh, safe places no matter where you're at, no matter who you are. Uh, pastors are supposed to be people that that you're able to talk to and, and connect with. And so I think admitting and even accepting the fact that, that you are going through trauma or that you went through trauma is so much harder in a lot of cases in a religious setting, no matter what religion it might be, then it would be in, and I can't speak to this, but in a marriage or in a relationship of some kind, um, it's just, it's just so different. I think, I think I'm thinking about how, like you just mentioned where we come to church with these expectations, right? That a church is a safe place. It's a healing place, all these other things. It's, it's something that kind of comes along with being in a Christianized country where Christianity's default in so many ways where um, church leaders like are kind of entitled to certain forms of respect. Um, but what happens is that often means we don't learn how to find who's trustworthy in a church environment. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we trust our kids with people because they're the pastor, mm-hmm. not because they've shown themselves to be anything or anyone to us that they had on a collar or they stood up on stage with a microphone. Mm-hmm. And so we, find ourselves in these situations where you may be young or maybe, you know, you're new to a community and you're looking for a place to be and you get welcomed, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot of times we think of people who have harmed us or have been abusive. We, we imagine them as some sinister villain in the, mm-hmm. in the movies, same the way, same way we do with the devil. Like, you know, it's, it's there, it, the music's <laughs> going to get dark and, and all of a sudden, you're going to see them appear in a cloud mm-hmm. of smoke. It's like, no. Flames are going to come out. Most of the people out. who are abusive are really charismatic. They mm. are really good at hiding their impact on people. Um, and so even when you start to notice what's happening, mm-hmm. you either turn it back on yourself. It's like, no, 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 no. I shouldn't be thinking these kinds of things about the man of God. Mm. Or you get the blame shifted. It's like, no, it's you. You're the problem. You're trying to project Mm -hmm. onto me or you're trying to do things like that. That was kind of what happened with me um, with with, uh, the most abusive church I'd been a part of where this pastor was so good at um, getting you to really believe the best in yourself. It was like, oh, you're going to be a a prophet. You're going to be a man of God. You're going to speak to the nations. And yes, I do that now. But also... Anytime something was wrong, my whole salvation was questioned. Anytime mm-hmm. something was less than perfect, it was, oh, well, you, you're, not, you're not using your faith enough. You're not uh, committed to God enough. Um, and so what was happening is I could see the benefits in my life that were coming from, one, my relationship with God, but also, two, um, just being in a, in a community that was doing great things. We were changing laws in the state of Illinois, like, I could look at my church and say, oh, we're doing good stuff, right? But then I wasn't thinking about how the families were all split up in our church. I wasn't thinking about how many divorces were a part of our church. I wasn't thinking about how I was getting sick and like losing weight as a part of being a part of this church. Um, mm-hmm. Because again, you, you, you learn to shift. It was like, oh, this is me not doing enough. This is me not giving enough. This is me not right. being faithful enough. 
Right. And the reality is it's, it's a culture that keeps it hidden what's really going on. And everyone starts to become um, complicit in maintaining that kind of harmful stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I think that's the biggest way that churches cause trauma without even realizing it. And I mean, just just the average everyday Christian, you know, they don't have to be a pastor or anything. But even just in this last election cycle, even till today, I have been like my calling as a pastor has been put put to question by other Christians. Um, my salvation, like you said, has been put to question by other Christians, uh, not because of anything, not because I'm saying, uh, hey, I'm going to I'm going to worship the devil. Like, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm saying, hey, um, this is the way I'm going to vote or or I choose to support these policies or I choose to support these politicians. And suddenly uh you know, having my salvation, like you said, questioned, having my commitment to God questioned by not just by other regular uh, church members, which I have to point out, uh, the church that that we're at right now is amazing. And I've been able to have deep conversations with people where everybody's respectful on every single level. Um, but from previous churches, from even family members who say, hey, I don't know, Kevin, if you really are saved like you think you are because you choose to support this politician. And that right there is a form of abuse. I mean, I've, I've talked about it in my blog. Yeah, I've talked about it in my blog. I've talked about it on Twitter. And every single time I talk about it uh, on any public forum, I always get the same like dozen or two dozen people who text me and go, Hey, it's really not fair that you're attacking us. And I'm like, I'm not attacking you. I'm saying that what you're doing is abuse, like <laughs> get your priorities straight. But that's so, uh, people don't see it that way. People just go, Hey, I think I'm, I'm calling you out. I'm just calling you out as a brother in Christ. So I think the question kind of becomes like, kind of goes from, what is abuse to where's the line? Does that make sense? I don't know if there's necessarily a line because I think it gets so blurred in, or at least in people's minds about what is abuse and what's not abuse, what's trauma and what's not trauma, because everybody has their own thinking of what trauma is to you may not be trauma to them mm. i don't know if that makes sense at all but no. i think that ends up blurring and i think and then with different theologies thrown in you you know you have people more in the liberal progressive streams of theology that are more open to say social causes and justice and are, you know, affirming and so forth. And then you have the other extreme where they're like totally not affirming <laughs> and, you know, there's just, I don't know. I think it's very, you have those people and some of them take very hard stances at what should, what it looks like, especially when you talk about politics and who you're voting for and certain aspects when, you know, the right tends to throw around terms like socialism and they're comparing it to communism. But that's, you know, so there's all mm -hmm. these different nuances. And so I don't know. I feel like the line gets really blurry when you talk, try and, I don't know, figure out where that line is drawn for people. I, I, I don't know that there is a line. Yes. I, exactly. I feel like, I, I mean, I, I subscribe to the belief that it's none of our jobs to decide what's traumatic for somebody. If someone right. has an experience of thing and it, it and when we think of, you know, traumatic events or situations, um, a lot of what we're talking about is just, you know, more recognizable negative things. But, you know, something that causes somebody trauma, it could be something unintentional. Um, I can remember I, I come from social services prior to working in ministry. And I remember, um, you know, we had a case and um, we were cleaning something out of the kitchen and it, you know, we don't normally clean in the kitchen, but we were using Fabuloso, 
you know, the Latino cleaner. <laughs> yes. You don't know about Fabuloso. Then. Wake, waking up every it's Saturday morning to, to Purple Fabuloso. But I don't even know what it's called. Is that the it's purple strong. stuff? It's a, yeah, it's yeah. a very it's strong. If you think really about strong. Pine Sol, it's a very strong cleaner. It's better than and Pine And so salt. we were cleaning. We had just got done cleaning the kitchen. Um, so we, we had a spill. And then one of my staff members mentioned something about um, a client just reacting to that smell. And just really mm-hmm. having like a strong oh. reaction to it. And it wasn't a physical reaction in that they were, you know, because it is strong. It can, it can, you know, if you are asthmatic or, you know, something like that, it can, it can kind of trigger that. But it was an emotional response because this person had a very traumatic event, um, an abusive situation that happened to them. And that scent was was automatically, it's like their the memory that they mm-hmm. attached that that mm-hmm. scent brought on brought brought them to that traumatic event. So sometimes yeah. this is again why I go back to just understanding trauma, understanding how it affects people and just knowing how you can kind of come across your body language, you know, the environment that you create, you know, in the church. Um so sometimes it it's not, you know, people get offended when um people mention things that are potentially traumatic and they try to judge, well, that's not traumatic. I remember a post, some of you might remember in a Facebook group and it was, I think the post was from um, your favorite heretics and it was talking about church trauma can look like, and it was like listing all these things. And people were in the comments about, well, that's not trauma. Like that's, you know, conviction or that's, you know, this, that, and a third. And I'm like, it's not any of our job to decide what is traumatic to somebody, what somebody perceives as, you know, traumatic. And that's, I think where, you know, I I don't think we can really say there's a line. It's just a matter of how can we be more empathetic as, as church Mm -hmm. leaders and as church and as just as people, how can we understand trauma more so that we can, you know, uh, really support people instead of just brushing them off and and (laughs) gaslighting people (laughs) for their experiences. When someone says something is traumatic, you know, believe them. And that's, I mean, gosh, there's so much good stuff in there, but it it does make me think about um, the way we we often respond to when someone says that something is sexist or that something is racist. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of listening to hear what the impact is, instead of trying to understand why someone would say that, instead we try to do this thing that's really, I would say it's really about defending our innocence. Um, But we do this thing where we try to disqualify what someone's said so that we again i think it's it's a, i think it's a, a the effort to not be guilty because we all have things we've done right we've all said something that may have been out of turn or we we've all been somewhere or had an idea of, of a of a person or a situation and we said oh no that was okay and it may have been okay for you or it may have been okay at the time but mm-hmm. things change and situations change and contexts change so when I think about how people are, um, there's this thing that people do, um, especially from certain traditions, where they're always like, well, what's the truth? What's, the, what's God's truth about this? Mm-hmm. And they're trying to create this idea that there's some absolute thing that defines what trauma is or what racism is or whatever. And then it kind of obliterates the fact that all of these are interpretations. Everything in the, in the dictionary is an interpretation. You know, all the words that we use are, are the words that we've created and give, given meaning to, which doesn't mean that truth doesn't exist, but it's the, the truth here isn't that there's an absolute meaning of what trauma is. The truth here is that people are harmed and it's the harm that we need to address, not trying to de- decide where the line is or trying to s- decide, well, if you let that be trauma, then everyone can say that they're traumatized. Everyone might be traumatized. We have no problem <laughs> right. saying everyone yeah. is sinful. We have no problem saying that everyone mm-hmm. is complicit in, in original sin. But all of a sudden, no. if we say everyone's also hurt, if we say right. that everyone's also um, had some experiences that have negatively affected them, then we, you know, we just lose our minds in some ways. So yeah. that's, yeah. <laughs> I think that might be the key is is changing just within us. I mean, obviously we can't change the the vernacular for every single person in the world, but just changing within us, the thinking that church trauma or trauma in general is trauma, is traumatic, right? I mean, that carries like some 
a lot of weight. That carries a lot of uh, connotation that I think we don't like, especially when it comes to churches, especially when it comes to leaders. And just changing it to changing that thinking to uh, Darren, what you said, we've all been hurt in some way, right? I mean, on the one hand, I think we can all point out somebody that needs to be in church or needs to be in therapy or needs to be in a sort in some sort of mentorship relationship, needs to be in some sort of education. But at the same time, we can all point out, and I, I know this for a fact, we can all point out somebody that should not be in leadership, that should not be a, a pastor, that should not be a therapist, that should not be a teacher. I mean, like, as I'm saying those three things, I'm thinking of different names off the top of my head, uh, just going, yeah, this person shouldn't be a pastor, and I'm glad that they're not anymore. And this person shouldn't be a therapist, and they really need to go out of business. Not because I wish any ill will towards them, but because, hey, there's, I can see the way that these people uh, work with others. And I can see the way that they have handled situations. I mean, just coming from my last church, holy cow, uh, the stories I could get into there. And just seeing the way that certain situations were handled going, yeah, you probably should be in a different profession. You should have a different career that's not leading people to Jesus. And that sounds harsh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you feel like if there's a lack of accountability in the church, like, absolutely. And how does that, how does that show up? Like why, why, or, well, I guess I should ask, why is there a lack of accountability in the church? Well, I think it's because any person can start a church. You don't have to have any credentials to start a church. You can, you know, If you have money, you can start a church. Even if you don't have money, you can fleece everybody else to start a church and, you know, have a church. So it's, I think that's one of the reasons why there's not accountability. We have people that are, you know, you can be in a church that is like one of, um, I don't know what you'd call, I forget what they're called, like a non-denominational church, but doesn't have any affiliation um, with any other organized body of churches. And you don't have to go through ordination. You don't have to go through seminary or anything like that to become a pastor. And I feel like that right there is why we have a lot of people in ministry that shouldn't be in a ministry. Yeah, so. I think I think there's the to, to expand on that because what what I hear you saying is that there's ways that like well maybe if we qualify people that we would have less of it, but it also kind of depends on the the environment you're in. Um, I know for me, most of the churches that that I was a part of that were predominantly black weren't churches that um, that qualified people on like academic titles, not because we didn't necessarily think they were important, but we have this long history of Black folks not being able to get access to mm-hmm. academia and to ivory towers and so forth. And so yep. we created our own other system that was more relational. And you go, yeah, if, if people had built trust and, and had earned trust, mm-hmm. it would be better. But it also, but in the same way that you can abuse you having a PhD, you can abuse being a bishop in somebody's fellowship where everybody knows you and everyone defends you and you have the good name. Um, I remember I had a situation in a Facebook group where someone was being um, overtly um, problematic, I'll say, um, toward me. They would would delete my posts. They were administrating the group. They would delete my posts. They would, if I would say anything to anyone else in the group, they would come back and then like be poking at me with with their responses and so forth. And when I said it to other people in the group, people go, that's so weird that this person is doing that because they're such a nice They're so nice. Why would they do that? And then I say, yes, could you say something about it? And they're like, no. <laughs> and I, I just be left on my own to be like, am I crazy? What's going on? Um, and, it, and it kept happening to the point that the other administrators finally took notice and, um, and called, called this person out on it. And when they did that, 
this person was defensive and, and mm-hmm. pointing out everything that was wrong and what I was doing and so forth. Um, but to not get way into a long story, um, eventually, eventually someone was able to like kind of intermediate that they trusted um, and to, to point out like what was happening and the friction that was happening between us. Um, and we were, we were able to get a resolve. So that's why I'm being a little bit vague because we were able to resolve it. Things did get better. But I remember that collective experience of everyone was just so enamored with the public mm-hmm. reputation of this person. Everyone was so enamored with their personal experience of this person that they could see and name exactly what was happening to me mm-hmm. and refuse to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't already been through that kind of thing with charismatic leaders before, then I would have been like, maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. he's right. Maybe, maybe I do know everything. And it's like, no, that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think about, uh, I think about how do we get better um, in the church? How do we get better in our communities? How do we make our communities safer? Um, and one of the things that I feel like is if we it's so weird. We talk so much about repentance. We talk so much about forgiveness. We talk so much about dealing with our stuff. But when it comes down to it, it's not often really safe for us to be wrong. It's not mm-hmm. often really safe for us for us to say, this is where I messed up and, and so forth, unless it's a certain thing, right? Yeah. If you're a man and you cheat with um and you cheat on your spouse, then churches will take you back. You're a woman and you cheat on your spouse. It's over for you. We will never yeah. name your name again. Yep. You know, and it's these kinds of ways that we pick. Oh, you were delivered from drugs. Get up and testify. Let's let's really shake the water. You were somebody who abused, who sexually abused somebody. Don't ever tell mm-hmm. us about that. Never, yeah. ever. Don't ever mention that. That's who you are. Because actually, we don't want you in our church. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that there's, I'm not saying that that's an easy situation. I'm not saying that we don't. We, you know, just throw the doors open and not, not care about it. But what I'm saying is that we've created a culture where certain things are fine to confess and other things are not. And because we like people, because we like their personalities and who they are, we find it impossible to say something negative or to challenge them on what's happening. And we create these leaders who are untouchable. You know, I was a part of a very large church that had a leader that you know, um, at the end of his tenure, all this stuff came out about the, the, you know, the effect of the church too, or the Me Too movement, where women were like, hey, I talked about this. I said it. I spoke up. Mm-hmm. I reported it to the elders. I did all the things. I got interviewed by lawyers and you did nothing. Yeah. And now I'm not going to be wow. silent anymore. Yeah. And people get wow. defensive about it. But it's just like, imagine how different those stories would have been. Mm-hmm. Had we actually had a real conversation the first time? Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, it all, it all kind of circles back to accountability. Like what you're talking about right there is accountability, right? Obviously uh, some people don't have that accountability. Some people aren't accountable to others when, when the boots hit the ground, so to speak, even, no matter what the papers say, right? I mean, I've been part of, I've been part of churches that have an elder board or a leadership team in place that's supposed to be uh, keeping the pastor in check. But when it really comes down to it, they do whatever it is that, that the pastor tells them to. And that's it. They don't, they don't care. They don't, they don't want to uh, keep the pastor in check, whatever. And I think I think part of it comes from the fact that we look at pastors on the same level, and I'll I'll just keep it at that on the same level as Jesus Christ. Oh yes, we look at pastors as, hey, you are called by God, and you <laughs> are supposed to be perfect and you are are supposed to know the entire bible i mean two years ago almost to the day two years ago i i sat down uh in front of the the person who was my 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 senior pastor at the time i was the youth pastor at this church uh and my senior pastor sat me down and yelled at me for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, because I had the audacity to tell the youth group, the, I, actually, 
He said, I had the balls to tell the youth group that you did not have to read the entire Bible to be a pastor. And he said, why would you tell a bunch of teenagers that? And I was like, because you don't, because you don't have to read the Bible. But he sat there and yelled at me for 30, 45 minutes about this. And as soon as I got up, I mean, I was so mad. I was in tears. I was so mad. And I got up and immediately called the governing board of the church, one, one of the one of the people on the governing board of the church. And I said, hey, this just happened. And this is against the church bylaws. This is against the church constitution. This is outside of his jurisdiction. Like, bam, 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 bam. And this person said to me, well, you know what, Kevin? I wish I could help you, but he's the pastor. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Wow. He's still under authority. He is not perfect. His word is not law. He might be the person chosen to lead this church for this time, but he is not the end all be all. Um, and I think that's that's part of the the issue that's that's plaguing our churches today is that we we're seeing men and women, I will say, uh, we're seeing people just abusing their power and being looked at by the rest of the church as you're untouchable because you're the pastor, you're untouchable because you've got the title or the degree or the office or the parsonage or whatever it might be. Um, And I mean, we see it in politics, right? Well, you're a congressman, so we can't do anything. You're the president, so we can't do anything. And it's wrong on every single level. And I know that's political, but it's wrong on every single level. And we need to hold every single one of our leaders accountable. And when we fail to do that, we see abuses in the church. We see trauma happen uh, in the church on a personal level, on an institutional level, on, on a local level. I mean, you know, we could go on and on and on. And it comes down to a lack of accountability because we hold these people up to be, to be gods. And that that might be heretical to hear, but hey, that's what's happening. The celebrity pastor. <laughs> you know, I think Can it's we... just. Go. Go I'm sorry. I just wanted to touch base real quick about something Darren said because it makes me look like a jerk now. And so I just want to <laughs> go well. back to when I was mentioning about churches and like not the accountability and the people not getting degrees and going to seminary and stuff like that. And I just want to say as a white person that um, I'm sorry, that comes from a place of privilege, I understand. And uh, so forgive me about that, that um, I realize that not everybody that is a pastor or in ministry has had the opportunity to go to school specifically for that. So I just want to make sure that I don't totally look like a jerk when I said that. So no, I feel you. And it's, and it's easy to like, you, you did bring it up, but um, I could also very easily illustrate how folks who do have degrees and do have doctorates and have lots of letters behind their names use all of that as a, as a front and a front to say, sure. oh, I'm intellectual. You can't tell me anything. What have you studied? What have you written? Yeah. What are, where are your credentials? And yeah. it can be, it can all be the same mess in so many ways. Um, but yeah, there, there are racial implications, there are gender indica- you know, implications. Yeah. I mean, for me to realize my privilege as a man has been, and raised by a feminist mom, it was like, oh wait, people listen to me just because I'm tall? Like people mm. listen to me just because I'm male. Like I learned that seeing the ways that women are not believed mm-hmm. and the ways that, you know, as contrasting to the ways I'm believed. So we all got our privilege. We all got our stuff. We got to work on. Yeah. And, and I mean, also, we have these conversations. That's why we're having. <laughs> this is why, we have, why we're here. Why we talk about oh, it so yes. we can learn from each other. That's right. And I will say I'm speaking from like me personally, I'm speaking from a place of and I think I mentioned this in my introduction last week. I have a degree in international business. I've got a minor in music like I did not study to be a pastor, but I'm back in school for my master of divinity. 
like that is something that I want to do. That is something that I want to get. So I'm kind of coming at it, Stacy, from both sides of mm-hmm. this, where on the one hand, I don't have the schooling. Um, I, I mean, I grew up in church, you know, my dad's a pastor and I had a few Bible classes in my Baptist university, <laughs> but that's not what I wanted to be. But now it is. Um and so, and so also looking at the fact that, uh, like Darren said, we've got to make sure that we're looking at our privilege. We're looking at what it is that puts us above everybody else mm-hmm. in whatever way, whether it's because I'm a man or because I've got an, or because I'm getting an MDiv or because you've got uh, so many years in the church world or because uh, Sarah has so many years in the professional uh, uh, secular world, whatever it is. That's, said secular? <laughs> I said secular. You just said secular. Oh, yeah. Are you, are you inferring that? It's us against the world now. It's we're us against we're the We're the Christians. Separate. We're explicitly separate. No, but but you you get what I mean. Like like there's the church world. I mean, people look at it as well. You did marketing for churches, not for real businesses. And it's like, no, the churches, right? Real businesses. Like, no, your business is you and your husband. And I was doing marketing for a four thousand person church. Like, shut up. but looking at those, looking at those different uh, pieces of, hey, this is where this is where my privilege comes in. This is where I have uh, a little bit of knowledge or wisdom or expertise in. But also for, like I said, for me personally, saying that, hey, I'm also seeing it from a church perspective, like like knowledgeable. I've been immersed in it church perspective so like i'm agreeing with you from both sides of the equation if that makes sense there there are many many sides and it's it's Mm -hmm. a thing where i feel like if we you know it feels a little con a a little like um what's the word when something's been said over and over and over again um it it feels trite to almost say it but if we really did the humility thing if we really did the listening thing if we Mm -hmm. really um Kind of owned that we're limited in our knowledge and limited in our in our ways. Um, I feel like we could move to this place where, um, like I always say, my my vision for what I do in the world is like, how do I make the world better for everyone in it? Mm-hmm. And so, no one's disposable in that idea. So, if I'm calling out something, it's not because you're a horrible per- person who needs to go away. You might need to go away from me, but you still need to exist. You're still an image and likeness of God, right? You're still, even if you're the one who harmed me and abused me, um, you still matter to God and and to to somebody, at least your mom or something, but (laughs) you still matter. And so whatever whatever resolve we come to, it isn't simply to throw people away. Um, People mischaracterize or misunderstand what cancel culture is. Cancel culture Mm -hmm. is not... Mm-hmm. an opportunity to just toss people away. Cancel culture is you haven't responded to other means. And the only thing I have left is to limit your like public influence financial income, right? To set yeah. this boundary so that you change. Because if you're still an abusive person who just doesn't have um, a job on, on a certain TV station, you're still an abusive person. You know, we don't want yeah. people to just be quietly abusive. We want them not to be abusive. Right. And that's, that's good. Point. Yeah, that's, and it that's should matter. Right, it should mm-hmm. matter for the people that are affected enough to be able to hold people accountable mm-hmm. out of love, mm-hmm. like not because you're just throwing that person away. I think sometimes the church stays in this. Well, we have to show them grace, and you know, we we're gonna work with. Um, I, I I mean, I I have seen just in how the church. I, I feel, and this is maybe a very strong word, but I feel the church fails victims. Um, in, you know, from, from whatever type of abuse and they rally sometimes, especially if the offender is, you know, in a position of power, because we have to understand that, you know, positions of power can be used really well, but we can see our positions of power are also very attractive to people who, you know, are, are, you know, abusive. And we have to understand that. And, you know, we use sometimes in the church, they, we want to fix people, right? We want to bring the people to Christ. We want to rally around the offender. And sometimes the victims just get left 
all by themselves. And a lot of times what I see just, you know, coming from the community side is churches who, you know, try to be the, the, the end all to be all to supporting their families and they will keep and support an abuser and their victims in the same environment because they don't want to, you know, cancel called cancel the person, the offender or, or send them away, but not realizing that you're doing that out of love, that that is, that's accountability. That is, you know, the right thing to do is to get that person to a place so that the church can be safe for the people that they've offended. Get, let a professional deal with that person. I'm just going to be honest, like let a professional yeah. deal with that person until they can get to a place where they can be safe, because that's the only way you're going to assure that you're going to have a safe space for people that have been offended for abuse that's happened in the church. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of movements going on in that area, but there's still so much work to do. We really have to understand what is it really mean when you're giving somebody grace, can that still exist while also holding them accountable and having boundaries? We love boundaries. Yes. They're important. Boundaries come out of love. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we see that in like in the life of Jesus himself, where time and time again, he would come and he would look at and he would he, he would be presented with uh, a victim of abuse or a victim of oppression or a victim of injustice. And what he did every single time was say, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and forgive you for whatever it is that you've done. And you just go on your merry way and I love you and you want to get dinner. Let's go get dinner. And then he would turn to the people who had brought this person to him and say, you're wrong. You're not doing this right. Um, and I think the, the thing the story that brought that out to me really, really just significantly was the story of when the Pharisees brought uh, the woman caught in adultery uh, and Jesus starts writing on the ground. And like, I started looking at the, the actual original meaning behind this when he turns to the Pharisees and he says, whoever among you is without sin, throw the first stone. And like over and over again, uh, I've heard this preached as, well, everybody sins and they knew that and that's it. But like the language that Jesus uses here is he's telling them, if any of you have not commit committed adultery, go ahead and stone her. If any of you have not cheated on your spouses, go ahead and do the thing that you're supposed to do, that you think you're supposed to do. And, you know, the the story says, uh, the Bible says that one by one, they all walk away until finally it's just him and the woman. And he says, well, none of them have anything to say against you and neither do I. So go ahead, go and sit no more. And I say all that <laughs> to say that we believe the oppressor too much. We believe the person that that is committing the injustice. We believe uh, a woman comes, for example, with a a claim of abuse from her husband. And more often than not, what happens is the church sides with the husband because he says, oh, well, she's she's crazy. She's she's just taking things out of context. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And we believe the oppressor. We believe the person that's doing the harm instead of believing the person who's being harmed. And and this all comes back around to whenever somebody says to you, hey, what you said is hurtful or, or that action, that uh, 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 verbiage um, is just traumatic for me or is just abusive for me or is just racist or sexist or whatever it might be. We're supposed to believe them. We're not supposed to say, well, no, 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 you're wrong. We're supposed to say, oh, I'm terribly sorry. How can I change things? Mm -hmm. How can I make things better? Not, no, stop believing that. Stop thinking that way. Stop, stop uh, feeling triggered is what a, somebody told me a year or two Mm -hmm. ago. And, and that's not what Jesus modeled, (laughs) That's not what the church leaders modeled. Um, and honestly, that's not what the best leaders in the world model is, is they're not saying, well, show me how, how people did you wrong. They're saying, show me how I can do better. Show me how we can do better and, and make you feel better and accepted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
one uh, one more like important piece to this, I think, in figuring out what better looks like is remembering our own stuff. I know a lot of people will, if when they hear the the long, messy version of my story, they'll wonder how is it that I'm even still a Christian? Like, why am I even a part of a church? And um, for me, it's really that realization. It's just like, I really have been forgiven of a lot. Like, um, as, as abused as I was in that church, I was also a minister in that church. That was where I was ordained at like 18 or 19 years old. That was where I led other people from my college to attend that church. That was where when some people like complained about what was happening, I found a scripture and I found a song and I found some kind of way to encourage them to hang in there a little longer. All of these things I did in the best of intentions and, the, and with the most pure, if you will, motives, but it still caused people to also be traumatized. It still caused people mm. to also be hurt. And so if I'm too busy defending myself as a good guy and as a guy who's got good intentions, and instead of dealing with the fact that I've caused people to like change their life plans for some abusive and toxic institution, um, I've told people that they're going to hell. I've told, you know, all kinds of things that yep. were informed by the abuse that I encountered. Um, if I forget that and just like, oh, but I didn't mean it that way and minimize what my impact was, then, then I, I continue the cycle. But instead, I can, you know, break the cycle by saying, hey, yeah, this is where I messed up and this is where I hurt people. And these are the things that I did. And it's from that place that I speak out. That's where I do my advocacy from. It's not this place of, oh, I've got the right answer. It's like I still might have it wrong. You know, I still might, you know, not get this scriptural interpretation perfect. But if the same God who was able to forgive me then and who was able to bring me out then is the same God today and the same God tomorrow, then it's just like, yeah, God is faithful. God is with us. We're going we're gonna to get stuff wrong. And grace really is sufficient. And so it doesn't mean that I go around leading people to tra tra traumatizing churches on purpose, but rather <laughs> I go with the grace that is, yeah, God brought me out of that. God will continue to show us the way. Um, and yeah, we can we can make this work. We can make it work. I think that's that's important is that we go back to God shows us the way and we can make it work. And I say that having worked in again in church and non-church environments is uh for me personally, there's always a way forward. There's always a way uh out of whatever situation it is that we might be in, but we all have to be willing to work together. We all have to be willing to, to uh, talk with each other and to communicate with each other and to work together to find that better way. It's not that I have it because um, I'm a Christian or a pastor or whatever it might be. It's that together we can find this. The, the best way forward for, for in this case, the four of us, right? And I think that's the key in, uh, I feel like I've said that a ton tonight, but I think that that is as <laughs> piece of the kingdom. Um, but I think that's, that's one of the things that we've got to focus on is not, Hey, this is where we stop, but rather, Hey, this is where we can go forward. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, as you know, we've been, we've been on here a while. I'm wondering if a, a good way for us to, to, to like bring this to a close would be to share, um, to share like what's one thing that we wish maybe had been done differently in a situation that we were in or, or to share an example of something that we'd like to see people like live into going forward. Cause you know, some people are like, well, folks just want to tear everything down. It's like, no, <laughs> this is how we build it up. This is how we make it stronger. So do you, do you guys have anything that, that you feel like if, if, if we did this more, God would be glorified. Sorry. <laughs> the evangelical came out of me. Cool. Preach it. Preach it. For me, I, I would think... say, go for go it. Go ahead. No, go for it. Your turn. Um, 
for me, I would say something I wish, I guess that was done differently was more support in my healing. Um, when I was going, when I felt so, you know, just distant from the church. Um, but in that, I would say the drive to heal, um, and the drive to, you know, I, I always say do the work. Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't that, you know, healing just happened to me. It wasn't that, well, God just healed me and it just happened. I did the work. You know, I, yeah. you know, I had to work hard and it was hard. There were many times I wanted to give up. Um, there were many times I didn't think that I would get to a place where I could, you know, feel better. And so I, I think for me, just it, leaving here, I, I would just really encourage that, you know, churches, individuals, that people just really support and rally around people in their healing, however long it takes, whatever resources people need, um, and just encouraging people to do the work because there really is beauty in the healing. Um, I, I find just not in that moment, but when you're on the other outside of it and you can just see how much and how far you've come, um, and how many, wounds just all the way back to my childhood that were healed um and just my experience it it ended up being i found a really beautiful thing i think i think for me the thing that we need to do more as churches um as leaders kind of in general is whenever somebody tells us uh, and again i'm speaking i'm speaking to myself here like i'm preaching myself um whenever somebody tells us about abuse or about an indiscretion or whatever, um, being quicker to, uh, or being quick, I should say, to believe them mm-hmm. and to go down the that path as hard as it might be, rather than excusing and, and trying to deflect and trying to, mm-hmm. to place blame somewhere else. I think it's, I mean, I know it's a lot easier to place blame everywhere else mm-hmm. than it is to say, hey, you feel like you've been wronged in some way. Let's walk down that path. Let's, let's explore that. Let's see what that looks like. Um, but I think I think we'd be able to to make a lot bigger difference uh, in the world in our in in our local communities if we just said, "All right, let's." You say you've been wronged. Let's explore that. Let's go down that path as hard as it might be. Let's uh, let's walk down this road with you, um, and let's get to the end of it. And hopefully, there's light at the end of the tunnel. But if there's not, we are still with you. I like that. And I like what you said, Sarah, as far as like the healing process. I feel like when I was going through my divorce, I was given a lot of trite comments and it did not help. And some of them were like, well, just keep praying for him that he'll come back and, and all that kind of stuff. When in reality, what I needed was complete release from him. (laughs) You know, and I needed someone to come alongside me and say, this is for your good. This is beneficial for you to be out from under him. And and I feel like and this kind of is another subject, but you probably agree with me, Sarah, that like divorce is healthy for some people (laughs) and it's necessary. And, and I feel that stigma in the church where like, yeah, (laughs) it's about safety sometimes. Yes. And sometimes there's like, well, you have to meet certain criteria before it's okay. And it's acceptable. And, and so if you, if, you know, what's happening to you or what you're doing is not, you know, in these, this criteria, then, you know, then you're to blame. And so I feel like part of that is just like allowing the church leadership and the people to come alongside again and just say, we're here with you. Like you said, Kevin, just we'll listen to you and we believe you and, and it's, okay. And this is what's going to help you be healthy. Can I just add one more thing? Cause I feel like a, a sum up of what you guys said. No, I really just, cause I, I can, I feel like, you know, hearing this when a lot of people might say, well, how, you know, 
how can we just believe people or, you know, how can we, you know, support, you know, people going through divorce or all these different situations. And, and I feel like the, if I, if I could just say anything to just church leaders out there is find resources, connect with mm-hmm. community agencies that are serving victims of abuse, connect with community agencies that are dealing with people going through divorce and heart situations or, you know, um, that are, that are whatever it is, you know, stop just recommending books and, Mm -hmm. you know, connect with, find support. You know, a church can't just do everything. You can't be the end all to be all. And community agencies can really be a great partner to get those resources. So if you have a situation where you have an oppressor, abuser, you know, offender and a victim in your church, you can figure out how to manage that situation and not feel like it's all on your shoulders and you can get more support mm-hmm. so that you ensure the safety of the church. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I feel like. Yeah. It's totally fine to use secular agencies. Yes. And probably yeah. the better Absolutely. thing to do in many circumstances. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to, to just what happens as we come together, as we talk, as we, as you get to know our stories, as we get to know your stories, like I feel like the church is in such a critical time to be better. Um, mm-hmm. And it, you know, in the U.S., we're seeing churches die, but mm-hmm. in other parts of the world, we're seeing churches flourish. Yeah. And I'm like, so what? What are we gonna do? And it's gonna be more than. I'm not trying to be dismissive. It's going to be more than just praying for revival. It's like we are going to be the revival. We're going to be mm. those who are who are making church folk so mad that they want to throw us over a cliff, <laughs> like they wanted to do Jesus. You know, <laughs> you know, Jesus is my example. So <laughs> I'm gonna say some things and do some things, and and but also listen to some folks and and try to make, uh, like I said, try to make this better. So. I'm glad we're here. Glad you're I'm here. Glad we're here. Putting this together. Oh yeah. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. Join us next week for uh, the the next segment in talking about church trauma. Love you guys. Oh, my nose just started bleeding. Oh no! Oh wow! You got your powers are, are leaking out. <laughs> Stranger <laughs> things, right? <laughs> We've got our own eleven. Oh my god.